0: I pray that our minds will be open uh, to the leading of your spirit, to the leading of your word. As Graham mentioned earlier in his prayer, we, we dive deep into scripture with Paul this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection. Paul says that our faith is in vain if we don't believe in the resurrection. If, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And so I ask that you would help us to understand, uh, to grow, to adjust our manner of life um, as your word leads and guides and your spirit empowers us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last week... Um, my thoughts weren't very gathered, and part of that is because there's a couple reasons for that. That can happen on any given Sunday. Um, Part of it could be I have a hectic Saturday, and I just don't, I didn't have the time to kind of center my being. Um, And yes, last week was kind of hectic, so that was part of it. The other part is I was trying to, you know, get this really heady idea um, across and sometimes I'm just, I just didn't have the time in the week uh, or I didn't, I need another week or something like that. There was plenty of time, but this particular concept needed a bit more time to simmer. And that was true as well. So I apologize. Uh, I did get an email saying, hey, how about some clarification? Um, got a lot of good nods while I was teaching and a lot of people, you know, thanked me for the sermon and all that. So I think a lot some, I think there's a lot of understanding and there was a, a bit of confusion that, that went out as well. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time just uh, recapping last week. Uh, and it goes right into this week anyway. Um, so let's start with Christmas. Uh, at Christmas, my wonderful daughter, Claire, bought me a record player. No. Yeah. Wow. It was awesome. Yeah. No. It was really cool. I um, oh. <laughs> Yeah. You can come over sometime. We'll, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> like a real record player with like needle about it? Yeah, yeah. Needle and everything. Right. Um, so what's really, what's really interesting about the record player experience is that there is a bit of an experience that goes along with it. Uh, I think many people would say that the format itself being on vinyl is just a bit warmer sounding, a bit more organic. It's a more pleasing uh, experience um, to listen to. But I think that there's more than that. Um, you have to get up and walk across the room and flip the thing over, you know, <laughs> when it's halfway done. In fact, one of the first records I got was about a regular length LP, but it wasn't high fidelity. It was medium fidelity, so it was like twice as long. So you get about four songs, and then I gotta flip it for another couple songs, and then gotta flip and there's another, like, two, two records in there. And it's great. It sounds great. Um, but there's something about having to uh, go through the motions. There's a ritual involved that is embodied in what you actually have to do. You have to lift up the dust cover, put the thing down, and you hear the you hear the thing start, right? And then um, you get that you got to get up halfway through and go across the room. So I'm I'm get, I have this record, and now I'm really excited to listen to good music, uh, but. I'm in my 50s. I don't want to start a new hobby, right? And it could get pricey if I just start buying records all the time. So I'm thinking about what kind of records I want because I want stuff that I'm actually going to sit down and listen to the whole thing because that's part of the experience with a record. You can't really take it in the car with you and just drive out, you know, wherever you're going. You're going to sit down and listen to this thing, have it on for a reason. And so I've been making lists of whole records that I would sit down and just listen to. One of the things um, that I found is that I want classical music because I I went through a phase in my 20s where I just listened to classical music, tons and tons of classical music. And I loved it. And uh, then came the age of the iPod and streaming and it ruined classical music for me because what happens is things get shuffled. If it's on an iPod, it doesn't. It goes like uh, alphabetically. It doesn't go by the track. So you're listening to a symphony that's meant to be heard in a certain order, which you get on a record. And so now I'm like, okay, let's get some classical records because uh, Mozart's Requiem in the wrong order just it, it's it's great, but it's not really great. You know, it's 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 re- well, okay. It's still really great, but um, there's a way to listen to it. So there's this whole experience um, where it's an embodied experience. And that's part of what I was trying to get at last week, talking about the resurrection. That faith in the life of faith is an embodied experience. We cannot, um, sometimes our theology about heaven um, is, something that's similar to what the Bible teaches, but it's not quite exactly the same. And I think that it is a way of sort of dodging the difficult parts of life, the hard parts, the wounded parts. It's a way of, uh, it, it becomes magical thinking. If you say the right things about Jesus and you believe the right things, then you go to heaven after you die. And there's this kind of like, okay, I got this in the bank. It's sort of like an insurance policy. Um, and we're sort of waiting and sort of dodging the issues that we need to really walk through, the wounds. And I talked about Jesus bringing his wounds. After he's resurrected, he's wounded. That those don't disappear. He brings those scars with him. So um, <clears throat> so last week, we, we read this passage where you have this thing uh, that uh, is so important to the Christian faith, that if, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then your faith is in vain. And... Uh, we've quoted that and we've heard it quoted throughout the years. Uh, if you've been in church for a while, and um, we believe that this is, you know, just an essential thing that we must get or, you know, have this assent to in order to be a Christian. And I, I, I guess I want to start by saying it's not simply an essential belief about Jesus, but it has practical real life application mm-hmm. that is critical to our thriving and the world thriving, right? So restoration, this biblical vision of restoration and renewal, both personal, my own restoration, my own renewal, and community, corporate restoration and um, renewal, ecological restoration and renewal, all things made new. You know, they become embodied. He talks about a bodily resurrection. What What I said last week is that the hope for Paul is not simply a heaven after we die, but a resurrection of the body, the actual body that we inhabit. Um, So it's not abstract, but it's lived out. It's a bodily resurrection. We need to live out our faith in this real world. Um, And this is what we deeply want, and this is what we deeply need. Whether we believe that or not, or we're aware of it, that is what we deeply want, is our wounds to be healed. And so we grab onto these passages out of Revelation that are way in the distant future that, you know, all the tears will be wiped away. I believe that that's true, but sometimes we hold on to something that is so similar to the truth. It's just a hair off, and if anyone's been watching the Olympics, if you're just a hair off with that biathlon, you're going to miss the target, and I think that sometimes we have a theology that it's just a hair off, that it is more about trying to escape around our wounds and the healing and all that stuff that we need that what we deeply desire um, is a healing And, and the problem is that going through that is painful it's hard it's hard to deal with our relational wounds that we grew up with or things that happened to us or things that were said to us sometimes the little things that are said to us are so hard to get around right and the vision that paul has is a bodily resurrection where We've got to go through these painful things in order to receive the healing that we need. And so as a result, we want to ditch that sort of hard part. And as a result, we settle for something that's easier, but similar enough to fool ourselves. Um, And this something else is oftentimes what we grew up hearing in church. So we believe that it's, True. And we can't argue with it. And we feel afraid if we even try to question it. So I read this quote. This came up on a meme on Facebook. I'm surprised because I'm not really excited about memes on Facebook. But this one is pretty good. The gospel is less about how to get into heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Right? The gospel is less about how to get into heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Now, the author of this quote is a, a man named Dallas Willard. Um, he was a philosophy professor at USC, um, but also a very uh, prolific writer and with Christian spirituality, Christian disciplines. I have his book, uh, Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, those two were just... Uh, very uh, big names in the idea of how we live out our faith and how we connect to God in order to live out our faith in the here and now what we actually do an embodied sort of life like having to go flip the record okay we got to actually do it Um, things like prayer and solitude and sabbath and all those sort of things So here's someone who's very well-known in the the evangelical church and very well-respected, and that's what he had mentioned. So why does does Paul bring this up now? Which part? This whole part about the resurrection. Why is it coming up at this point? Because you would think that if they don't believe in the resurrection, that would be the first thing he mentions in the letter, right? Right? So what has he been dealing with in this letter? And this is true for most of Paul's letters. All Paul's, all of his big theology can be boiled down to people that just don't get along sometimes. Okay, and I keep coming back to this. I know I've mentioned this before, but the song in, in Philippians chapter two, it's a song about Christ's, resur- about his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's brief. It's incredibly profound. And it comes on the heel of Paul talking about people that just need to get along with each other. That's where that profound, deep theology comes from. So in the book of Corinthians, we've had one thing after another that is very practical. People are, there's haves and there's have-nots in that church. And there's uh, the people with the greater education and the greater money and the greater understanding of the world, supposedly, the greater status, are these super spiritual people who are saying our gifts are better than your gifts. And as soon as my gifts become better than yours, then we can elevate that gift. And now I'm elevated and I don't need to deal with you. And if I don't need to deal with you, then I don't need to deal with the the world's problems. I don't need to deal with your problems. And I can believe in this sort of a separation of the body, a separation of the here and now and the real things that we need to deal with as a community, I can separate those into this earthly sort of concerns that are of the body and they're kind of gross, we don't want to deal with that and someday we'll just be separated from it. And it's a nice, very complex theology that uh, is able to really get us out of dealing with our own issues and other people's issues and not being united with one another. So, he brings up all these very practical issues. And now, he's hitting at the heart of this theological problem. Because if I believe in a resurrection that is disembodied, if I, if I can believe in a in a state in the future where I'm just disembodied, I'm just a spirit, I really don't need to deal with the actual physical world and the actual physical world problems. We can just do our best, and then someday we got this insurance policy that will pull us out. That's not going to work. That is not the vision that the Bible sets forth in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. It's not what we see with Jesus. Jesus says, Turn your cheek to your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Forgive. How many times? Peter challenges him. As long as it takes. I still remember the idea of forgiveness. Graham did that teaching on forgiveness. And that idea of forgiveness is being, is being willing to sit down to that table and to open up that conversation. That was a beautiful picture of forgiveness and that process of being able to sit down and start to work it out. Because that picture is very embodied. It means i got to be with someone. <coughs> so it's a divided community. There's this sort of spiritual elitism And it's going to lead to a theology of separating those who are suffering from us, that we don't really have to work through it. We can work around it. So um, as we get into, and as another, by the way, another maybe example of this, um, beyond, you know, records and listening to the dark side of the moon in one sitting. But uh, every time I talk, not every, almost every time, I guess. I can't say every time. I can't remember all the times I've heard this. Um, But a lot of times when I hear people talk about people who are in counseling or in therapy, what I hear from them is this general blanket statement. Everyone should be doing this. doesn't matter if you're working through big issues or not. Everyone should be doing this. Once they're in it and you experience it, you realize how important it is to go through. And the thing is about counseling is that I, I think when you haven't experienced that, you can hear it and think, yeah, use nods That's probably a good idea. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, but the people that are doing it realize that there's, that the whole thing is an embodied. I mean, you got to set up, you got to call, you got to actually pay for it or your insurance company has to pay for it. And you got to call your insurance company to make sure they're paying for it. you got to go there. you got to set up the calendar. If you're doing family therapy, you got to set up, five calendars to be able to do it, you have to actually go and do it. You gotta sit down and talk, right? And a good therapist is, just gonna, is not gonna let you get around. I mean, just, you gotta talk. So there's something about working through the whole thing. I remember Eduardo saying when we did the racism class that it's body work, it's tiring. It's gonna be hard to think through these difficult issues. But that is what an embodied faith is all about. And that's what Paul is trying to say that you, you cannot build this theology where the Spirit just separates and you're good. You've got to deal with actual stuff. You've got to deal with it. And that's why I think this very important theology of the resurrection is coming up now. And in the context of what he's bringing up, he says, Here's my experience with the risen Christ, like I just mentioned in the announcements. Here's my story. Then we have the passage last week. Uh, if if you don't, know, if Christ is not risen, if He's not actually risen, then our faith is in vain. And then we get into this next section, and Paul is anticipating their uh, objections, right? He's he's kind of he's asking the questions he's anticipating from them. And so in Corinthians fifteen thirty five, he starts with those questions. He says, "But someone may ask, how?" Will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question! (laughs) He said. I'm thinking, doesn't seem that foolish. I mean, uh, now listen. You know, we live in a much more scientific world, and so our questions about the resurrection are slightly different. Um, I think in Judaism they believed in a general resurrection anyway. Apparently, there are some people in this crowd that don't. Um, We know that actually in some of Judaism didn't believe uh, as well. The Sadducees uh, didn't necessarily believe that. But how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? <laughs> what a foolish question. Okay. I don't think when we went through the shame series, we ever touched on any of Paul's writings. <laughs> no, we didn't. Paul. Not right, not right. <laughs> he, he uses it masterfully, uh, the shaming technique. Um, <clears throat> When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Now, we have to stop and say, that's not true. We know that that's not true. uh, But Paul's point is not agriculture. The plant doesn't die. um, Number one. Number two, um, again, they're not coming from a scientific, uh, the scientific revolution has not happened yet. Um, But his point is great, I think. Uh, When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first or unless there's an incredible transformation that actually happens. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. And so here we have this idea that there is a kind of a a radical discontinuity between the bodies, but they're both bodies. They're both lived out. They were both embodied, a seed and a plant, different kinds, diversity and unity and radical transformation, discontinuity and continuity, all these things happening. It was the same way with the resurrection of the dead, or it is the same way. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. I love this. this. This must be a, I don't know if he's pulling this from a poem or a song, but I love this. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they're raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies. But they will be raised as spiritual bodies, for just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now, <clears throat> he's not really explaining things. <laughs> how does it work? And by the way, I don't think even in our contemporary world, trying to explain how a resurrection works really gets us anywhere with people who are not Christian. I don't know how my phone works, but I still use it. Right? Someone knows how it works. Um, but there's so when we need them. Um, so he, he introduces this idea that also gets confusing for us, this idea of the fleshly body and the spiritual body. And, uh, because we tend to use the terms spirit and flesh as uh, the actual body and spirit, something that's disembodied, we get confused when we read Paul and we see this in other letters as well, about the flesh and the spirit. And they seem to be playing off each other. And it's important for us to understand that as he's talking about these spiritual bodies and these um, natural bodies, that there's a, there's sort of an ethical component that goes on with this um, when we read this. And that when he's talking about the natural body, he's talking about the ways of the world that are embodied in the way that we live. And when he's talking about the spiritual body, he's talking about actual bodies that are embodied with the spirit of truth and live out this life that Jesus has mapped out for us. So it's not talking about some disembodied spirit versus the actual body. And that can be very confusing for us when we read this. What he's talking about is a way of life. And he goes on to give us an example about Adam and Jesus. He says, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, received or became, here it says became, but it can be received, the first man, Adam, received a living person, a living body, a natural body. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. And so what he's contrasting is not, we know that Jesus was embodied both before and after the crucifixion. So he's not talking about the spirit as something that's disembodied and separate from the physical world versus something that's living here in the physical world. He's talking about a life That is, if we think about Adam is going to take, it's going to live life by my own rules. God had one rule, just couldn't quite follow that one rule. And there's consequences that come to that, that are wounding and traumatizing to the earth and each other and harmful. Um, Versus Jesus being a life-giving spirit, that if we follow Jesus and we live in that... um, we, we are disciples of Christ, that we are living in that life of spirit is embodied in the way that we live, forgiving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, um, <clears throat> all that goes with that. So he's not talking about physical flesh versus spirit in a sense that one's embodied and it's not. Both are embodied in a different way of life. <clears throat> the last Adam that is God is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly, the earthly man. The heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as, they're, just as we are now like the heavenly per- man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These are dying bodies. Uh, These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Okay. Um, He talked last week about Jesus being the first fruits of this resurrection. Judaism believed in a general resurrection. I don't think, I think the surprise was that the Messiah was resurrected first and then everyone else later. And so, what he's saying is that now we're in this tension. We're in this tension of we have these earthly bodies, we're in this broken world, we're in a wounded world, we're in a beautiful world as well. And we see the spirits work and we've seen that Jesus is resurrected. So, the resurrection has come and we have something to live into and to follow. But we are also in this time. That is broken and wounded. And so we live that out. We live out our faith. We cannot separate the two. We cannot just dodge around the issues that we have with ourselves or with other people. We need to walk through it and live into it and trust that God resurrects us. Is there a time in the future where the tears will be wiped from the world's eyes? I believe that that's fully true. And what we're talking about is a slight difference. But the challenge is to really think about it and think about how we're living and how we're pursuing God. And are we trying to dodge things? And are we trying to make ourselves feel better by a theology of uh, the insurance policy theology? where you know, when the time comes, I'll just cash in and I'll be okay. Or are we thinking about are we living our life here and now by the power of the Spirit uh, embodied? Uh, with one another. And Jesus says, um, or Paul says in, when he writes the uh, Ephesians is that we are seated together with Christ. Right? So I'm seated with Wendy and I'm seated with Graham and I'm seated with Forrest and Eduardo and Sophie together with Christ. And so we are also resurrected together. And so there is this Vision of having to live this out together. Um, And again, I'm going to come back to the story because it was so profound. Um, This lunch I had with someone uh, two weeks ago, I talked about, I'm so, I'm so thankful that I've had these struggles, right? And these struggles that this person was talking about were pretty significant, right? Because it has enabled me to help others who have the same thing. And I thought that was on Wednesday leading in before last week's sermon which I again was a bit still jumbled in my mind but I thought in that moment I thought that is what Paul's talking about those wounds have been resurrected with Christ and there is still resurrection to come there is still more healing to come I'm not saying that it's it that we're done you know look outside this is this is it but when 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 the, John the Baptist shows up on the scene to announce the kingdom of heaven, he says it's here it's at hand. Mm-hmm. it's not something we're waiting in the distance for. In fact, he kind of I think in, at places it says kind of both it's here and it's yet to come at the same time it's here and it's coming. and so we live in that tension and our faith is lived out where our bodies and the things that we experience here, uh, the, the things that I've experienced, the things I experienced with you are being, will be resurrected. The scars will be there. And I've seen marriages survive. The people work through it and pull it out and the wounds are there. Uh, but to God's glory, um, God's glory is shining through. Um, that's not to say that if the marriage fails, that there are there is no glory. Those wounds come with us as well. And I've seen... People where where that has failed, and they still survive, and they go through and their wounds are still there to God's glory. And so we live out our theology. We live out um, this, this resurrection, and I think that's why this comes at the end, because Paul is saving the big punch for the end, that this is an issue of theology. We cannot separate the physical world, the sufferings of the physical world, whether it's personal or corporate, national, ethnic, whatever those are, um, we can't separate those from the life of faith, and there's great hope in this. I get excited when I start to think about it this way. Like, there's hope in the things I can actually see, and feel, and hear. Um, yes. One big makeover project at some point. One big makeover. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Um, <clears throat> okay. That's what I got for you today, all right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Our bodies will be changed. um, But it's still a physical body. Um, And this is like Jesus, right? The post-resurrection experience of Jesus is that sometimes people don't quite recognize him at first, uh, and then they do. Um, He's kind of the same, kind of different. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get at here. Um, So, we are going to, and so that's why I, you know, that that connection with G- Genesis was so important because what you have there is a picture of resurrection, and what's resurrected is that family, and um, they've been deeply wounded by the actions of each other, particularly, uh, particularly being sold into slavery it could be a harmful thing for a, a young boy, and um, but when you follow that story in the book of Genesis. What you see is that there's, there's two parallel stories. And one is Joseph, and he's going through some very difficult things and learning about God and making you know, good decisions. And... But you also have Judah who kind of led, the, led, led the, uh, the charge in selling him into slavery. Judah goes through some very painful transformation as well. And that's what's beautiful about that story. And it can seem like they're not connected, the stories of Judah and the stories of Joseph, but they actually are, are running in parallel. And then you see them come together here where there's healing. And this, this family is brought down there and it's salvation. Yeah. The youngest one who's, who is left in the grave, by the way, the youngest son, who is le- the beloved son who was left in the grave, is the one who's able to deliver his family. Mm. It's very much like Jesus. And so um, it's a beautiful thing to read this, and see this painful and joyful resurrection of this family. Um, I'm so glad we get to read that as well. So let's, um, let's take communion, and we will remember the actual scars of, of Jesus that he offers up to us um, as a picture of what it means to live in faith to embody our faith in even painful ways uh, for the salvation of humanity.